You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. You might be wondering, what on earth does the law have to do with self-worth? Hello, yoga teacher. Please stay tuned because the conversation that I'm about to share with you with Corey Sterling, who is the author of the Yoga Law Book and the founder of Conscious Counsel, is mind-blowing. He shares a very unique perspective on the purpose of the law and some sound reasoning about why yoga teachers should make the effort to understand the basics of the legal landscape around their vocation. Far from being dry and boring, this is a conversation that is full of passion and full of heart and even some corny jokes. But most importantly, it reveals the basics of what yoga teachers really need to know, understand, and look for in their legal agreements. And we focus specifically on the relationship between yoga studios and yoga teachers. So if you teach for a studio or if you want to teach for a studio, you will definitely want to grab a pen and paper and take some notes. For me, the most fascinating part of the conversation was the way that Corey connected standing up for ourselves in a legal sense with valuing ourselves as yoga teachers and also valuing our colleagues and our potential future colleagues. If this conversation inspires you to want to learn more about the law within the context of yoga, then stay with me until the outro where you will learn about an opportunity to win a copy of Corey's book, The Yoga Law Book. I seriously cannot wait for you to hear this conversation. I believe that what Corey reveals in this episode is information that every yoga teacher needs to know, ideally before they sign a contract with a studio or really any contract. So let's jump right into the conversation and remember to listen to the very end for a chance to win a copy of the Yoga Law Book. What's the biggest misunderstanding or what is the biggest thing that you wish yoga teachers knew about the law and their careers? It's That's such a juicy question, and it's a great place to start, because what I would, I think the biggest misconception about law and using legal agreements is that it's uh, a negative, stressful, heavy, burdensome, to-do list type activity, whereas in reality, it's about creating the ideal relationships for yourself and your business. So most people think working with a lawyer stinks. Most people think legal documents are difficult to understand and written in, ling in, in a language that they don't understand and they look at it and they sign it without really understanding it. But really what I see more and more in working with all of my yoga professional clients is that they actually get to a point where they love their documents and they realize that the documents really are a form of empowerment for them. So I'd say probably that's the, the biggest possible misconception is that Working with a lawyer sucks and isn't fun, and the law is something that you have to do that you don't really want to do, when in reality, it's actually one of the, one of the most important foundational pieces of setting yourself up to succeed with your professional yoga business. Would it be fair to say that at least partially the law is about clear boundaries? 
Sure, you that certainly could be said. The law is about a lot of things. And and sort of just because I'm living in this Brazilian beach town at the moment, I, I would just think of law as the ocean. It's a massive, massive body of water. Well, the law is not water, but you know what I mean? It's a massive area. There's family law, there's estate law, there's litigation, there's contract law, there's intellectual property. There's so many different things that the, that the law is. And specifically, the question is, what area of law applies to you in the relationship that you are trying to communicate? That's the first question. And then specifically within that, what boundaries, to use you know, the word from your question, which I agree is true, what boundaries exist in law for that particular relationship? So it could, I think, and this is a great question to sort of tie the two things together. So what people think is, oh, law is huge. It's not, I don't understand it. It's intimidating, blah, blah, blah. That's because they're just looking at lawyers in general, but not understanding that different lawyers do different things. And there are different areas of law that apply to different businesses, to different people, pending the situation. So ultimately, in each area of law that you're dealing with, and each relationship that you have will deal with a different area of law, the law sets the boundaries to say, okay, cool, if you're hiring someone as an employee, this is what you're gonna have to do in order to you know, um, abide by the laws that our society feels are appropriate for an employer-employee situation. If you're hiring someone as a contractor, these are the rules. So yes, law is boundaries, but it fits into a bountiful, plentiful ocean of law. So let's narrow that down a bit for today, since yeah. obviously we don't have time to do the whole ocean. And let's first hear about what are the most important areas of law for yoga teachers? That's the primary audience for my podcast. Yes, I definitely have some studio owners listening, but I feel like they almost need their own podcast because they have some really big topics that don't overlap. So let's narrow this down. What are the most important areas of law for yoga teachers? Okay, so um, firstly, we call this jumping in or diving in to fit with the ocean analogy. I'm not letting go of it, just so you know. I just, I'm, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in love with laws and ocean. So basically, we're jumping in, and it's, this is what I would, this is how I would correct the question or direct the question. It's much less what areas of law are we in. And it's more, and I, because I'm all about demystifying law and making it more approachable. So for a yoga teacher, who's a professional yoga teacher full-time, what relationships do you have? And how do you want to communicate your expectations in those particular relationships? And if necessary, where does the law come into that? So my whole approach to having, you know, in, in starting my law firm, Conscious Counsel, I basically saw that people didn't understand and, and all of the things. And I've simplified law to be to articulate it to the following. Basically, the law is a series of relationships that you have. And within each of those relationships, it'll fall under a particular section of law, which we're going to get to in one second. And then within that relationship and that area of law, how can you communicate your expectations openly and honestly? That is what I try to do. And the, that's what I try to facilitate as a lawyer. So let's say you're a yoga, yoga teacher professionally. Let's think about all the different relationships you have instead of looking at it as, oh, what are the different areas of law? Because like, you don't know all the areas of law. I don't really know all the areas of law. But I would just say, what relationships do you have? And I wrote a book called The Yoga Law Book, Legal Essentials for Yoga Professionals. And one of the first exercises in the book is, is what I call the relationship exercise. So what you do is you would write your name, you'd have a blank piece of paper, and you write your name or your business name in the middle of the paper. And then you just draw a line to everyone that you have a relationship with. 
So as a yoga teacher and not as a yoga studio owner, a yoga teacher will normally have relationships with one studio or various studios. Um, a yoga teacher will have relationships with either private clients or uh, a group of, prime, uh, of private clients. So like a corporate, corporate yoga or whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, a yoga teacher will often or may um, teach on retreats. Uh, so what does that relationship look like? A yoga teacher may participate in teacher trainings or contribute materials to teacher trainings. Um, and then probably a yoga teacher may make an online course or have online videos. So then the next relationship would be with everyone they have online through their website. Does that make sense? Do you, do you, do you think I've missed anything? Other teachers that they might collaborate with. Okay, cool. Yeah. So we could, let's call that workshops and workshops and, and other collaborations, which to me, the, the, the collaborations come in with the teacher trainings and the retreats and whatnot, but cool. We'll say collaboration. So with all of those, in all of those relationships, the different areas of law that it touches upon. And if you, if I, if I get going on this and you don't think that it's helpful, you can just stop me and, and sort of correct me because I want everyone to get as much information as possible. When you're looking at the relationship with the studio, the big question for a contract for a yoga teacher is, am I a contractor or am I an employee? And really that, that decision should be made by the business owner, but every yoga professional should know what the differences are because basically governments have said, okay, if you're going to treat someone like an employee, you have to give them the benefits of being an employee. And if you're going to treat someone as a contractor, you have to give them the benefits of treating them like a contractor. So the first sort of area of law that that falls under is, okay, I'm a teacher. I teach at a studio. Am I a contractor or am I employee? And as such, what are the ramifications? And if so we look at, yeah. Does the law vary from state to state, region to region on the benefits of being a contractor versus the benefits of being an employee? Yes. So for example, California passed um, a bill that in January, in January 1, 2020, it came into effect. And California has the most stringent test of what makes someone a contractor versus what makes someone an employee. And we, in, and, and I think it's, it's best for your audience um, just to keep it really, really general, and, and this is what I would say. So firstly, yes, jurisdiction, jurisdiction to jurisdiction, it varies, but most of them are in line with what I'm going to share. California is an example, a more radical new example, where they've made it very, very, very difficult for a business to hire a contractor so long as the service provided by that contractor is the same as the service the business itself does. Got so it. if you're in, if you're cool, got it. Awesome. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Generally, but I do want to go into California later. Let's talk generally first and then let's talk about California. Perfect. Love it. So generally what happens is the distinction between a contractor and employee has to do everything with the amount of control that the person paying the person to do the service has over them. The whole idea being a contractor runs their own business. A contractor makes their own schedule a contractor sends their own invoices, a contractor uses their own equipment, a contractor can even subcontract the work out to someone else. Whereas an employee, so that's like very, very liberal, very, very free. Contractor runs their own business. Basically, you're paying me to make sure that someone's giving yoga classes at your studio, if you think of it that way. Com conversely, an employee is someone who you have much more control over. 
So with an employee, you can say, these are the specific times you have to be here. You have to teach this specific type of class. You have to wear these particular clothings. You, you need to use all of our equipment in providing the services. And what really makes this tricky and why working with a lawyer is helpful is because it's tricky because there's, it's not a black or white area. It's not like, oh, here are four things. And if one, you do all of them, it's a contractor. It's always weighed on the balance of probabilities. And whoever is deciding will always look at a big picture perspective. One of the most important parts is, is there a written agreement? And what does the agreement say? But a big mistake that, uh, that many people will make is like, oh, well, I signed a I'm a, I'll speak to a potential client or a client and they'll say, well, I'm a contractor. And I'll be like, okay, cool. How do you know that? And they're like, well, I signed a contractor agreement. And the intentions of the parties is one factor in this multifaceted equation to determine between a contractor and employee, but it's not, it's not everything. It's not conclusive. So often what will happen is people will have an idea that they're either a contractor or an employee because they signed something that said something, but really what really matters is the way that the services are provided. And in addition to that, how much control is exerted over those services. So for example, if there was a contract that says over the top, it says contractor agreement. Yeah. And yet the things in the contractor agreement don't fit the definition of a contractor. Um, Some examples pop to mind quickly. You're not allowed to get subs. You always have to, you have to teach according to this. You always have to teach the same class at the same time. You have to promote our, our workshops in your class. When the more time you spend talking to a lawyer, the more often you're going to hear the answer. It depends just because we have a whole course at law school called it depends. Mm-hmm. And they're like, in these situations, it's a joke. I'm just joking. All, all I'm saying is lawyers will be very reluctant to give answers because so much of it is contextual. But to answer your question, yes, it's very common that someone will sign something that says a contractor agreement, but then has stipulations that make that, that if you look at the, whole, the big picture, clearly that person's an employee. And I'll never forget, I had, a, I had a client who was working at a studio who signed a quote unquote contractor agreement which said that they always had to teach the same scheduled class at the same time. And that person was going on to teach their own retreats and like do all of these other things on their own outside the studio. And the, the studio tried to restrict them from doing that, which is, that's not an example of someone running their own business. Right. And, and, and I'm real, I'm a, I'm a big advocate for the teachers. I've taught at various studios, um, usually fitness yoga. I've, I, I taught in this beach town, whatever, but all, all I mean to say is that, Firstly, it doesn't matter what you call the agreement. What matters is how the services are provided. And secondly, it's much cheaper for studio owners to run a business with contractors instead of employees. And usually yoga teachers are not informed about the law and they don't understand their rights. So they'll sign the agreement and not question and feel bound to it. And then, you know, they need to make ends meet for the month. So they have a relationship with the studio and they don't want to ruffle feathers and whatnot, but ultimately, A, it doesn't matter what you call the agreement, B, it all matters of how the services are provided. Okay, so if a yoga teacher is listening to this and what they're hearing, they're like, whoa, the way that I'm being treated is more like an employee. Um, For example, I have spoken with a yoga teacher and I imagine that this is not an uncommon thing, but 
they were told that if they get us, if they have to, if they're leaving and going somewhere and they have to get a sub, that they need to sub an equal amount of classes at that studio to make up for it so that they are working the amount of hours that they, that the contract says basically. Like, Not, so this is what I, this is what I would say to that. That is one provision of an agreement, which is overwhelmingly indicative of someone being treated as an employee, but it matters on the, what matters is the big picture perspective. So hypothetical slash probably lots of real yoga teachers, they're listening to this and they're like, huh, I think I'm, I think I'm in this situation. What do you recommend they do in that case? So what, what I recommend for everyone to do always is, and like, this is my whole business ethos. This is my passion. This is my love. I always encourage people to a get informed and, you know, like understand your rights, look at the situation, get inspired by it. And like, and, and understand really what is actually going on. And there's lots of tools out there to do that. But then secondly, it's to communicate your expectations openly and honestly. And what, what that, and I, I don't want to, yeah. And, and so however a person feels is the appropriate way to communicate their expectations openly and honestly, I would encourage them to go about doing it that way. It could mean having a talk with the studio manager and saying something like, you know, I heard a podcast and, these are certain things that you're trying to get me to do, but you know, I'm not, I don't think that it really falls under. If you want to hire me as like, and right. I'm, I'm not telling anyone to take any drastic actions whatsoever. But what I am saying is like, get informed on your rights, understand a little bit about what's, what's happening here because it's so important. It's so important for yoga teachers because this is your livelihood at stake. And I think because, and circling back to the first thing I said, it's like, what do, what am I, what's the biggest misunderstanding is like, most people be like, oh, law lawyer, I can't, I can't do it. It's just tough for me. I can't read contracts, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But firstly, A, I've, I'm really trying to make a, a digestible and fun approach to doing this and B, like, this is your livelihood at stake. So ultimately my recommendation, if there's something that's like totally out of line with the contractor employee distinction in your jurisdiction communicate openly and honestly and just be like, Hey, that provision, that's that thing you're asking me to do is not fair. If you want to treat me like an employee, pay me like an employee, include benefits, include workers comp, whatever the other things are. But otherwise, but the other thing that I would say to everyone is like, you, you run a potential risk of whatever risks may happen from the way you manage that relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And because they're, as a contractor, you don't generally within that contract, within the the agreement, the contractor agreement with between yoga teachers and studios, there isn't a provision for a yoga teacher keeping their job for any reason. If they, it's usually an at will contract, right? So if the yoga instructor ruffles feathers in with the studio management because they're the only yoga instructor who's questioning the contractor agreement they can lose their job everything i do is as much as i i do draft agreements and i put and i communicate expectations openly and honestly most of the time i'm coaching clients on managing their relationships and understanding their rights so subject to what written agreement the parties had and what the termination provision for that notice was that would depend how quickly one could be terminated from their position. 
everything the first the first look always in law is like okay what have the parties have what have the parties agreed to in writing that's always the first look after that and that's sort of why it depends and we don't need to do we don't need to play the whole it depends game but um but basically it depends on what's written between the parties what they've agreed to and then that would inform how the situation would unfold so i think this is really really helpful for yoga teachers who have not gotten hired yet especially because having this knowledge will empower them to look over a contract before signing it and identify problem areas ahead of time versus coming to a place where you've been teaching for five years and saying, well, I'm just now getting informed and I think that I'm being misclassified. Um, you know, so I had a situation recently where I wanted to hire a copywriter and I was, I talked to somebody, I was right ready to hire her. And then she sent me her contract and I was uncomfortable with it because it was so one-sided. It was all about protecting her and that's fine. I totally get why she would create a contract that was about protecting her, um, yeah. but I was uncomfortable signing it. And so she lost that, that work, you know? Yeah. I chose not to move forward because, you know, she said, Hey, I get, I get that you're not comfortable, make suggestions for the change in the contract. And I was like, ah, I don't have time to do that right now. Like I get that I'm the one who's not comfortable. So in theory, I could make suggestions for changing it, but I don't have the bandwidth. So I'm just going to write my own emails. Like the time that I would have spent suggesting changes to her contract, I could have just been using doing the work myself. <laughs> so understood. And, and I actually even, and I, I just want to stop you there because you've hit on a lot of really, really important points that I just want everyone who's listening to hear. One, it, and whenever I give talks at conferences or events or expos or wherever I go, I'll always say this. Firstly, the person using their contract will always have it drafted, will have the contract written to protect their own interests first. Always. And the biggest misconception is that some people will receive contracts and feel that the contract is fair. And, like, and, and some, look, some, sometimes it is, but for the most part, every contract that you're going to get that someone else is giving you will be written in a, like a dreamland situation where the best case scenario is always in favor of the other person. So the rule is whoever's giving the contract usually has things written on the best terms for them. And that's usually why I get hired because people are like, okay, well, I'm doing this or I'm doing that. And I want to make sure that my interests and my rights are protected. Secondly, I totally acknowledge you for reading your agreement. So great job. I would say a very, very low percentage of the, the people who I work with or who I'm approached by actually read the agreements. And like, and, and yes, and, and it's, this is what, what sort of drives me crazy is how people will spend so much time on social media and like, you know, maybe the fascination about likes or posts or comments or this or that. And like, all of these things believing that that will grow their business and it certainly can. But then that same person will go and sign a contract that they don't really understand. And then legally they're bound to those provisions of the contract, which can like really, really hurt them or their business or restrict them or their business. And I'm just like, 
right? Does do you hear me? Does that make sense? I, I, yeah, no, it makes complete sense. Yeah, and it, to it's, me it's just like, because yeah, I, you know <laughs> I work with yoga teachers too, <laughs> so it's the same yeah. thing. You know, there's so much that yoga teachers spend their time on, and of course we could. This is probably across all kinds of industries, but so much that we spend our time on that isn't actually moving the needle or isn't that important, and then so much that we are ignoring that is. So this in, in law and like like actually physically signing away your rights, you should re, you should really understand what you're doing. And I just I see and my whole approach to law is like the first thing that my mentor told me my first day being a lawyer. He's like, you're going to tell your clients, pay me now or pay me later. And what pay me now means is like I'm going to be proactive in using the law. I'm going to invest up front. Maybe I don't really want to spend this money, and I'd rather spend the money on Facebook ads or Instagram ads or my website or whatever it is, but like they're going to either pay you $1 at the start. They're never going to pay you $1, but they're going to pay one at the start or they can not deal with it, sign things they don't understand, blah, blah, blah. And then be in a reactive position. And this happens every single day with, for me and my clients, people will be reactive. They've signed something they don't understand. They want to get out of it. And then it'll cost them four times as much and they will be stressed and they won't sleep because they're so worried about it. So like the whole thing to law is like, yes, read your agreements, use your own agreements, be empowered, set relationships up on your own terms. Like it's, it's amazing the things, how much easier you can make your life by using the right agreements. That's funny because that comes back to boundaries because I feel like that's such a parallel. I just was talking to a yoga teacher who was asking me, you know, tell me about boundaries. Like, how do you set boundaries? And I said, early, you set them early with a nice, quiet voice. You set them early and you set them clearly. Yeah. And, and, and ju just on that point in, in all of the agreements that we draft, we always include a section called expectations. And if anyone who's listening drafts their own agreements, like all the respect, go, go ahead and do it. And it's always great to put in a part about expectations because then if someone is not meeting your expectations, you don't have to be angry. You don't have to raise your voice. You don't have to confront anyone. And how I always coach clients, it's like, hey, you know, we both signed this agreement. In this agreement, it said that, you know, the expectation is that I could sub out my classes to anyone who I want. I subbed out my class to someone, whoever I wanted. And you took issue with that. Like, can we talk about that? How do we resolve it? What's going on? It just, it really empowers you when you have written support. It makes it a much more like objective situation as opposed to adversarial and confrontational. Mm, yeah, that's so good. And it, it does though rely a little bit on anticipating what the expectations are. Sometimes ahead of time, we have a hard time predicting or you, you know what I'm saying? Like we have, we build expectations over time that might not have been present when we first created the contract. For sure. And, and you can always, you can always add, you can always amend, you can like, that's, if, if someone's using a contract that has a particular section exclusively for expectations, it's easy to add. And yes, like, like any growing relationship, you enter the relationship, you try it out. This works. This doesn't work. How can, you know, how can we both work at it? How can we make it a win-win for both of us? But, but yeah, just ha having it on paper makes it so much easier the moment it comes up. So do you sometimes work with independent yoga teachers and help them review contracts and edit the contracts to be more fair? Yes. That's something I, I did that this week. I've done it 
probably every week that I've uh, had my business. And yeah, I, I, I love doing that. I'm, I manage situ I also often will manage situations to help sides come to a, an agreement of sorts. Um, but yes, going, going through agreements and helping, like as an example, one of my teachers, uh, one of my clients, who's also my teacher, just um, he launched an app. Uh, really, really cool yoga professional, travels the world, doing great. And he, he invested a lot, a lot, a lot of money in the app. And he just gave me that agreement and was like, hey, can you make sure that this protects me? And like, we've worked together for years. So at this point, I, I, know, I know him very, very well. So it's not an issue. Um, but that's an example where like, you're investing in something. Or like, in addition to reviewing contracts and providing feedback, usually how I'll work with teachers is like, they're running a retreat or they want a workshop agreement. Let's say like you're a yoga teacher and you travel and you go to different states and different studios what like again the relationship is between you and a studio that's going to have your workshop and you get to choose the ideal terms of that relationship how payment is made who's using whose waiver um you know what supplies are going to be there all all of the things and do you help yoga teachers anticipate what sorts of things they're going to want covered in those contracts yes yes so the the great thing the great thing about my job and probably the easiest thing about my job is that yoga professionals will come to me and they'll be overwhelmed and stressed and worried and all of the things. And I've just like, for me, in some ways it's groundhog day to the point, like I'm drafting a teacher training agreement right now for one of my clients who um, is now in a, in a couple of different provinces in Ontario. And it's, she has a particular modality that's going great and she's starting her first teacher training. So we're drafting a teacher training agreement for her. But what I mean to say is like, I didn't even need to speak to her to get the first draft going, I know what all of the issues know. I, I know what all the pain points are because just for the first two years of my business, now I'm in my third year, but the first two years, it was the same conversation, like over and over again. These are the issues. These are the pain points. So we just have agreements prepared that, that confront all of those things. And then if people have specific questions or specific worries, we'll address it. But it's, it's always the same. It's the same. So long it's, it, as it's in the silo of that particular relationship, 9.9 .9 out of 10 problems that whoever's listening has, someone else has. And that's really like, for me, the impetus to write the Yoga Law book was the fact that I was literally having the same conversations every single day with people. And I was like, okay, someone just needs to put this in plain English and, and like write stories. So basically, the book is a collection of stories that I had with my clients or, you know, journeys I went through with my clients. And I'm just like, if anyone were to ask me a question, I'd be like, just read this because, you know, whatever, 25, 30 people have come to me with the exact same issue. And this is how you resolve it. So let me ask you this. In those negotiations between independent yoga teachers, con contractors, and studio yeah. owners, in your experience, are studio owners usually pretty open to changing the contract when a teacher requests it? So this is what I'll say. What I could, anything that I could say about studio owners, I could say equally about teachers. So I'm very wary of generalizations. This is what I would share. Firstly, I think every teacher knows whether or not they're working for a studio that is loving and caring and supportive and wants to do the right thing. That's, that's my firm belief, just because I've also worked at a bunch of different studios, um, and, and that's what I've seen. So that being said, I think it's clear, 
if you have a good relationship and it's a good place and they've got a great community and all of these things, more often than not, studio owners want to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, I can, and, I'll, and I'll say honestly, I think usually they're, they're just as unaware of these specifics as are the teachers. That makes sense. And there's very, very few studio owners who are manipulative and demanding and controlling and are so bottom line focused where they're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to squeeze them for everything I got and treat them like contractors. Like, you know, they have a meeting and they're all sitting there laughing about, I, I don't, I don't, I don't believe No, that I don't think so either. Just because yoga is not a great way to make money, frankly. So if, if you're like that, you're probably not in the, in the, in the yoga industry. The reason I asked the question that way is because generally the studios are the ones providing the contract. That's the, you know, like I agree with you. I don't think that the studio owners are in any way plotting or conspiring against the teachers. I think that they are number one, unaware, and number two, a lot of them are under a lot of stress. And we don't always show up at our most generous when we're under a lot of stress, at least I don't. I, I, I would agree with that. And, and I think you know everything in your life happens as you choose to see it. And if you see your boss in a particular way, it will be really easy for you to continue see, seeing them in that way. In that same regard, you can choose to see it differently. And it really could be that they just, they don't understand the, you know, the egregious error that they're making and you could help be the catalyst to get them on the right path. It sounds like what you said is yes, generally studios are open to changing the contract. Yes. More often than not from all of my, a lot of my clients are studio owners as well as yoga teachers. And I would say they're, they're open to doing the right thing. Well, the reason I ask that is I want to give yoga teachers who are listening the confidence to at least try, you know, to, to initiate yes. the conversation. Because if they feel hopeless about it, if they're like, well, most of the time they're not going to do it anyway, then I think it's going to be harder to take that brave step of, an, of initiating the conversation. Got it. And also there's two things. One is that I would never, I certainly, my words were not and no, yes, it, it does require bravery and confidence to do it, but also I think it, it ties into self-worth and self-value. And if, if you understand, you know, now you, there's a, ver- a very basic understanding of the parameters of the law. Um, so like you understand your self-worth and like someone's not allowed to treat you like uh, a, an employee, but call you a contractor. And like, it's that simple. And like, and, and the one thing that I'll say is, and to everyone is, in whatever state you're in or whatever, you know, country you're in, there's always like, you know, better trade practices, bureaus or different, different people that you can speak to. If, if you're with an employer who's treating you completely unreasonably and unfair, you can always report that particular action and you could do so anonymously. And, and again, not in the spirit of ruffling feathers, but like respect, what I would say to all teachers is like, respect yourself, respect your own value, respect your own worth. If someone's treating you in a particular way, stand up for yourself and say like, actually the law says that you're not allowed to do this. And the thing about law, the, like the root of law, it's all based in policy. And when I use the word policy, what I mean is a reflection of society's values. So the reason why we have these employment laws and the contractor laws and all of these different things is because society, elected officials sat in a room and discussed, okay, what constitutes an employee and what benefits should an employee have and why should they have those benefits? So we, we thank God we live, and I'm sure everyone who's listening, you know, lives in a, a free democratic society 
where the rules that are in place are a reflection of what everybody feels is fair for the masses. And as such, you have, you have a right in these countries in the Western world to stand up for yourself and exercise those rights. And that's a really good point because it's not just about standing up for yourself. If a studio is not in alignment with the law to one teacher, they're almost certainly doing it to multiple teachers. And by reporting them, that is protective potentially of those other teachers. A hundred percent. And, and I don't, and I don't want people to just run off and start filing complaints and whatnot. Um, Cause that's not, not my intention. I always coach people to manage relationships, communicate your expectations, see people in a positive light, give them a chance. But that being said, if they're treating you in a particular way, they're treating everyone. And, and I, there was one particular studio that I, that, you know, I, I had a relationship with and I didn't report them, but I sort of felt like I should have just because I, I really didn't like what they were doing. And I didn't like how I was being treated. I didn't like how they treated others. And I won't say that I regret doing it, but it, you're, uh, you know, for, for the, for the collective, may, maybe it would have made sense to do that. Sometimes it's hard when you're in the moment and you're in the thick of things to remember that there's a bigger purpose. Than yeah. Just you. And, and I, for sure. And I think also it's like, I'm a big energy guy. So like, where am I focusing my energy? I try to focus it in positive places. I try to do positive, productive things. And I was probably too emotionally related to that situation to, to have it bear positive fruit. Mm -hmm. Like it was sort of egoistic and vengeful. If that makes any sense. Totally. It's so hard to separate that when you're in the middle of a challenging relationship. Yeah. Right. I mean, to, to be able to step out of it and say, okay, I'm taking this action for the greater good and not as vengeance. That's, that's a tough uh, call to make. Yeah, it can, it can be. So I think, I think we all, you know, I've, I chose instead to that, that was when I was doing fitness stuff. And, and since then I focus on the law stuff and like, I love helping people. I want to help them communicate expectations in their relationships. I want them to understand how they can use the law to grow their business. Okay. So I want to pick your brain because I loved what you said earlier. Okay. It's the same things over and over. Can we make just a really brief list so that yoga teachers, when they look through their contracts, that they have a checklist to start with of things that they're looking for? I'm receiving a contract from a studio. What are the different issues that what's part of it? Yeah. What am I looking for? Okay, you're basically it's always like the five W H who, what, where, when, why, how, and the the first like let's just say and sorry I I, I will get to it but again you want to look at what what jurisdiction you're based in will determine whether or not you're an like based on the way the services are provided am I a contractor or am I employee or should I look should I use the agreement also as an opportunity to see whether or not I'm a contractor like are they calling me one thing but treating me one way basically like keeping that in your mind. So basically the things that you're going to want to be careful of is firstly is what is it? Am I an employee? Am I a contractor? If I if I'm an employee, I probably have less wiggle room because this this basically the actual aspect of the relationship is that they are controlling the way that I provide the services as best as like as much to whatever degree they want that's reasonable, right? So if I'm signing an employee agreement, you basically, the things that it's going to cover are um, necessary statutory deductions. They're going to have to pay you. They're going to be responsible for paying taxes on your behalf. 
It's going to be about how many hours you're working, um, specific provisions around overtime, what, to, what happens in vacation pay, being as specific as possible as what services you're providing, when you're providing the services, how you're providing the services, um, rate of pay, term, termination, so when it begins, when does it end, trial, is there a trial period involved? Because in, in often in lots of state or provincial legislature, someone only becomes, you, you can have someone on basically a trial period for a certain amount of time, and after that, they can transition to employee. So what are, what are all of the, the specifics around the work as clearly as possible? Um, so again, when it comes to employee stuff, you have less wiggle room or you're looking for less, and it's more like, okay, am I, am I comfortable with this particular role? And are there any gaps that this piece of paper does not fill in? Like, is it missing something? Like, am I, and, I, and again, coming to the five W's and H, like, am I super clear what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, why I'm doing it, when I'm doing it, where I'm doing it, and how much I'm getting paid to be doing it? And if there's any amb ambiguities there for employment agreement, that's where you want to firm things up. Um, and, then, and then I would imagine if someone's, if a company is giving you an employment agreement, they have all of those other, you know, they have things about vac at least the, the legal minimums regarding vacation pay and overtime um, and maybe health insurance as well. I know in the United States that's different than it is in Canada. Um, so that would deal with employees. If they're treating you like an employee, you have less wiggle room, but you just want to make sure that the doc that it's not like you sign the agreement and then on the first day they're like, oh, and we want you to do A, B, C, D, E, F. You would just be like, no, the contract that you sent me says that I only have to do these things. If you want, we can renegotiate potentially for a higher pay or whatnot. When it comes to a contractor signing, signing a studio agreement, you basically want, again, the way, the mindset that you have is that you are operating your own business. So there's this business that happens to be a yoga studio, and this yoga studio is hiring you to provide your, is hiring you and your company, basically, even if you're not incorporated, to provide the services of yoga instruction to them. The things that you want to look at, again, this, the same who, what, where, why, when, how, but it should be inversed. So like the, the certain things that you are able to negotiate is that technically, if you're hired as a contractor, they are not allowed to create a schedule for you. They cannot say, you have to teach these times and these times. What they can say is, please submit your availabilities at the beginning of each month and we will make the schedule accordingly. Um, as well, they can't really tell you what type of yoga you have to teach. So if you're at a franchise studio or uh, at a place with specific, specific types of classes and they're telling you, you have to teach our modality as a contractor, technically they're not allowed to do that. That's, and, and again, sorry, just in the contractor, we come back to the big picture perspective of everything being weighed on the balance. So maybe they can tell you specifically what classes you have to do, but then everything else should be super, super contractor because it would have to be that an objective third party is looking at the situation and they decide, oh, clearly this person's a contractor because they're using their own equipment. So what equipment are you using? For example, if a studio tells you that you have to wear their branded equipment, that's not allowed. That's, that, that's, an, that's an indication of an employee. So the things you want to look at is um, your ability to offer these services elsewhere. A lot of the times we see a con an independent contractor yoga teacher who has teaches two or three times at a particular studio, and that studio will give them an agreement with a non-compete. 
coming back to the whole policy idea of law, non-compete does not want to restrict someone's ability to earn a living, especially if that's what they do for their full-time business. So non-competes are difficult to enforce and even more difficult to enforce if you're trying to enforce it on someone who you employ for two hours a week as a contractor, right? Because you run your own business. If I run my own business, unless I'm giving you 40 hours, why would it make sense that I'm not allowed to do the same thing that I do because I perform my own classes my own way? Um, why am I not allowed to do that in other places and, and operate my business freely? Right. Does, so it would have to be a, kind of like an exclusive contract. All I'm saying is that if you teach two or three times at a yoga studio a week and they're trying to restrict your ability to do that somewhere else, policy aspect of law most likely would not uphold that. Right. Just like it's all the, the litmus test always is like, is this fair? And right. basically, if, there, if there's something in the agreement where you're a contractor and, and sorry, I mean, I could go on. I, I could go on forever talking about these particular provisions. And I'm sure people want to hear maybe something else that's more interesting or whatever. But what I mean to say is like in a practical making law fun, making law approachable. First question one, am I a contractor or am I an employee? If I'm if I'm an employee, it's going to be way more specific and I can still negotiate about what is written, but they're basically telling me exactly what I'm doing, where I'm doing, how I'm doing it, blah, blah, blah. If I'm a contractor and there's something in the agreement that doesn't feel right, like, you know, they want to keep the intellectual property and things that I create. They want to limit my ability to offer these services other places. They want to specifically tell me when I have to do that work. Anything that's restrictive or an indication of them controlling you is should not be part of an independent contractor agreement. Wow. It's, I think this is endemic in the yoga industry. For sure it is. It is, unfortunately. So do you think this is changing? Yes, for sure it is. And California, California has been the biggest proponent for change for this more than, more than anything else. This new, the, the, the bill that's passed in California. Should we dive into that a little bit? Sure, we can. And, and I'm, I'm happy to connect why it is. Basically, what California says, as I said before, right? So the question is, employee contractor, California's now said, if you're hiring someone to do what the main service of your studio or what your business is, by law, that person is an employee. And the reason why it's changed and while it is endemic, while this problem is endemic, in California, a lot of these business owners who before, right, we don't think any of them... Um, have the intent to be misleading or whatever. Um, now, now they're, everyone's reading about it in the news, everyone's talking about it, and it's like a wake-up call for these studio owners where they're like, holy smokes, this is gonna be the law, I'm gonna get a really steep penalty if I don't make this change. I could be at risk for an audit from the IRS or the CRA, and therefore I, I have to change my ways. Um, so I think that's one way of of it changing. And I think another way of it changing for the better is like the fact that you and I are having this conversation and that there, you know, that there's like yoga law, yoga lawyers, and like that now it's coming into the mainstream, these issues that 10 years ago, I don't really think were being spoken about in the same way. And I think as, as yoga continues to grow and evolve as a quote unquote profession, which it, it really is as much as it is a practice and you know and a, and a spiritual guide and a way of living um it's it's also a massive massive industry uh in north america and the western world 
And I think as a result of that, it's like the law stuff is starting to catch up and these issues are starting to catch up. Before this issue started to come to light, I think there've been a lot of teachers who have felt intuitively there's something not fair about this setup, but because they didn't have the education to articulate exactly what's not fair about it or articulate what's in it for the studio to make the change that it just was kind of like grumbling and, you know, it it didn't really lead anywhere productive. So I'm glad we're having this conversation. Me too. And like, and this is, I'm I'm just going to share like a, a brief story about a client and a friend, which to me, this was before yoga law started, but was also one of the reasons that really motivated me to, you know, open this practice and focus in this particular area. So she's, she's an all-star teacher, 10 out of 10, ambassador for all these really cool companies and clothing lines and, you know, whatever is amazing. And, and she had a relationship with a particular studio where they were, they were totally, totally, totally manipulative of her, totally treated her like an employee, but called her a contractor. And, you know, if she would fight back or she would say something, you know, they would say things like, well, you know, we mentored you, we taught you how to do what you are, you're great because of what we taught you and, you know, blah, 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 all these things. And like, she was really afraid to speak up for herself and afraid to exercise her rights. And also like on her monthly income, this studio, despite how they treated her, she still was doing a lot of classes. They were a really busy studio. So she was in some way, she's like, okay, well, if I, if I burn this bridge, what's going to happen to me next? And and I just want to say that I empathize with teachers that are in that particular position because it's really difficult and it wasn't, it wasn't me and it wasn't my relationship. So it wasn't my place to say something or tell her what I think that she should do. But th- those are in addition to not, you know, pure ignorance and, you know, not appreciating the law or understanding the law. I think in that same way, like there's that challenge of like, if, if, you know, if I, if I burn this bridge, then my monthly, you know, then I may not be able to pay rent, which is super, super scary. And, and balancing that with like, okay, but I'm also being mistreated. And like, as much as maybe I was mentored by the studio owner, and now I want to go do my own exciting things. So what, what I would say is, from my own experience of, of being in a relationship with a mentor who tried to control me in that particular way, again, self-worth, self-value. And just me being like, you know what, I'm I worked really hard for this person. I made this person a lot of money. Like I'm allowed to go and do my own thing and and live my life my way and and stand up for myself to not be treated, you know, if if I'm being treated incorrectly. So what ended up happening to your friend? Uh I don't I I think that my friend is still at that studio. Wow. And it is what it is and it's like, you know, you can take a horse to the well but you can't make them drink or whatever that terrible analogy is, but uh, <laughs> you know, my also the, the, another thing I've learned about being a lawyer is like, you can, you can, tr- you try to help people as best as you can, but ultimately people are going to make their own decisions and it's not my life. It's I'm, I don't have to deal with the consequences of, of, of those decisions. So all I do is I tell her that I love her and I support her and I ask how I can help. And that's it. So if yoga teachers want to get more informed on this topic, where can they find your book? The book is on Amazon. We're, we're just final. We recorded the audio book and it's just getting ready to come out. And I'm putting the book in an electronic format. So our website is yogalegal.com. And, um, and anyone can visit there. 
And then it, in Amazon, it's called the Yoga Law Book, Legal Essentials for Yoga Professionals. And do we want to do a book giveaway? Yeah, we'd love to do a book giveaway. So anybody who wants to win a copy of the Yoga Law Book, keep listening past when Corey and I say goodbye so that you can find out how to win. A signed copy, just to clarify. Ooh, a signed copy. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, wow. <laughs> With maybe like maybe a bit of an acai stain on it, just because I'm, <laughs> I'm into my acai bowls these days. Maybe you could include a coupon for an acai bowl. If anyone wants to come to Caraiva Bahia, Brazil, you get an acai from me as well. So now nice. it's a double giveaway. Yeah, That's awesome. Welcome. <laughs> welcome to Bahia. Sounds amazing. Okay, well, do you have any final words for yoga teachers listening today? Keep being awesome. I think if there's sort of one thing that emerged in and of itself from this chat, respect your self-value, respect your, your worth. I love yoga teachers because, and I love helping yoga teachers because you go off and you know the magic that yoga teachers perform in each class and the way that you're able to change your students' lives on a, on a daily basis. I think sometimes you lose sight of that and how incredible of, of an impact you can make. So keep being amazing. Put yourself in a position to succeed. Put yourself first in terms of securing your career and, and your opportunities and just continue to lead with your heart and everything's going to be great. Mm, well said. Thank you so very much. Corey, this was really interesting. And uh, yeah, I hope it really inspires yoga teachers listening to read their contracts and ask for, negotiate for what feels right, what feels fair. I'm excited for everyone to do that. And remember, if you come to, if you come to Caraiva in Bahia, Brazil, you get a free acai from me <laughs> with, a big, with a big hug. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Ciao. Thank you so much for having me. You're so very welcome. Was that not a powerful conversation? I feel like I really learned so much from Corey about the legal landscape around teaching yoga and the difference between an employee and a contractor. And I really think that every single yoga teacher needs to listen to this. So for the contest to win a copy of the yoga law book, here's what I'm thinking. Go on Instagram, find the yoga teacher resource. If you're not already following me, yoga.teacher.resource and find the post for this contest. There'll be one specific post. It'll probably be a picture of the yoga law book and it'll talk about how to win. And all you need to do is within that post, tag a friend who you think needs to listen to this episode and let them know about the book, let them know about the episode. Hopefully they'll listen and they'll get the benefit also. And from everybody who comments on that specific post, we will choose a winner. And you know what? Let's do it this way. You can tag as many friends as you want, as long as they're all yoga teachers. This We want to keep it relevant. But for every yoga teacher you tag, you will get one entry. So if you have a lot of friends who you think need to hear this, then you can enter a whole bunch of times. Okay, good luck. I hope that you win and that if you don't win, you go and buy this book anyway, because seriously, this is the type of thing that we put off and we think, oh gosh, I'll get to that later. I'll think about that later. It's not super important, but it really is. 
I think what Corey said during the episode about investing in this information now before it's an emergency is really spot on. So for what it's worth, you've been educated and now you have the opportunity to take action on behalf of yourself and all you've invested in becoming an amazing yoga teacher and also on behalf of your colleagues and your friends. We are living through some crazy times right now, you guys. I have no idea, honestly, what is going to happen with the yoga industry, but I hope that we take this opportunity to evaluate all the relationships and we make sure that everybody's needs are being met. And this is true for the people who are being underrepresented in the yoga spaces, the people who don't feel welcome in the yoga studios, but it also is the teachers because They are the ones showing up and being the example of yoga. So they need to be supported and they need to be in a position where their work is sustainable. Let's be part of making that happen. And as always, part of that is attending to your own self-care. Oh my gosh, this is like the second week in a row where I'm going to own up to yelling at my teenager on the outro. I'm really struggling right now (laughs) as the parent of a 17 year old during this pandemic. And yeah, so I'm just going to leave it at that, but just say like, I am working so hard to keep my self care on point and I'm not always succeeding, but every time I lose it, I, it's like a, a reminder. It's a flag to me like, okay, what, What do you need to do? How can you come back to center? How can you self-regulate? So I'm just putting it out there because I know that if I'm struggling and I have so much privilege that a lot of you guys are going to be struggling also. And I just want you to know that you're not alone. And if you're listening sometime in the future, please, please tell me that we use this opportunity to evolve a little bit. I really, really hope we do. All right, that's all I've got for you this week, but come back next week for another episode of Knowledge, Techniques, and Inspiration for your teaching and your practice. 